Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the Essendon People podcast, re- recapping the uh, practice match against St Kilda. Mark, it's, um, it's been an interesting week. Uh, what did you think about the game against the Saints? Yeah, it sort of took took the wind out of our sails a little bit, didn't it? We um, got up narrowly against Gold Coast the week before, which wasn't uh, a world-beating performance, but um, this was a little bit alarming in the similarities that it had to the way that we played last year, I guess, is the only way I can describe it. So I, I think being a practice game, not not going to push the panic button too much yet, but um, some worrying signs, I think, would, would probably be the sentiment from most fans. I, I agree, worrying signs, considering it was the practice game before round one last year against St Kilda, where we got, uh, we got touched up in a similar fashion, and I think we all thought... Ah, oh, no, it's just a practice game. It'll it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And we came out against the Cats in round one. It was one of the worst performances in living memory. <laughs> so let's hope it's not deja vu and um, we can start off the year with a bang. Yeah, I guess we'll do the traditional good, bad and ugly and then maybe just have some general chat about the game and our thoughts and, and, and that. So I guess the good was that in the first quarter there, um, the pressure seemed pretty good in the first sort of 10 minutes or, or so. The, I, I think in the first couple of minutes, basically St Kilda didn't touch the ball and we, we sort of controlled the ball. And But we had a pretty strong wind, which is obviously helping us a fair bit. And um, I guess yeah, one of the good parts was that the, the pressure was noticeably up from the start of the game, which last year, if we're comparing last year to this you know season so far, um, that's something we didn't start that well last year. Uh, we, we were pretty slow off the mark. So that's one positive we can try and take from it. I agree. The pressure in the first quarter was good. And when, watch, when watching, I was like, oh, this is actually all right. But I don't know, maybe over the course of the game, it did seem like the pressure was very good at the end that the wind was blowing to. So sides were having trouble moving the ball out of the out of that area Sides kicking into it, had that extra 10, 15 metres to their advantage. So whilst I agree it was uh, improved pressure from last year and someone like Alan Davey, the pressure that he brings for for a young player was really good and that really stood out. But I don't know. It's, we've had two practice matches with strong breezes and our pressures like both look good when we've been kicking with the wind. When it's gone the other way, it's looked a bit back to last year. So... I don't know if the um, if anything's been fixed or we've just been hoodwinked again, but um, yeah, yeah. But let's, hope, let's hope for a, let's hope for a breeze inside uh, Marvel there, eh? Turn the air on them. Is that is that what they call downhill skiing? Or <laughs> oh, for a, for a side that is trained for a hundred years at Windy Hill, right? We are absolutely shocking when it comes to conditions with the wind and any anything that's not pristine. We're just no good. So hopefully it's not a sign of things to come. But knowing us, 
probably is. <laughs> so you mentioned um, Alwyn Davey just there about his pressure, and I think that was one of the good parts um, out of the game too, is that um, Alwyn Davey Jr. He probably seems to be coming on a little bit quicker than what I imagined. I, I thought... And I think we've probably been guilty of thinking this the last couple of years with some of the new draftees. Um, I definitely thought that he was probably a longer-term prospect and you know might work his way into the senior side perhaps in the second half of the year if there's some injuries and um, he shows some form in the VFL. But I think he's doing all the right things, putting his hand up uh, to play pretty early in the season. I agree. I, the thing that I was kind of surprised with was his, his fitness. You saw in the game that not only was he repeat efforts in the forward line, pushing up that half forward in the midfield a little bit, but it was also times where he, he worked back into the back line to that, you know, relieve handball kind of clear space. So he's clearly got a good fitness base underneath him that allows him to cover the ground. So, and he's he's very, very classy player, makes good decisions. He's quite clean as well. I haven't seen him fumble. Too much. It's normally one take there. So, um, yeah, I think longer term, he's going to move into that half forward midfield there. But I think early on, we'll see him start probably closer to goal just because we need that type of classier player. But yeah, it's um, it's exciting things ahead. And I guess kind of the other inclusion in the side we've talked about twice now uh, Wiedemann and Setterfield, uh, they look pretty good. Oh, pretty good. Wiedemann got his hands to a number of contests, and then when he couldn't get to the contest, he was at least a mobile target that the mids could raise their heads to and hit. And uh, Setterfield, I think, is going to be, I think we talked about it last week, Mark, he's going to be death by a thousand cuts type play. You don't really know. He doesn't stand out. He's not doing a lot, but he actually does impact how we move the ball forward. Yeah, he, as you said last week, he's the sort of player that you've got to go to the game or watch the game on TV with the intent of actually watching what he does because I think you you quickly get lost and um, and not notice a lot of the work that he does. So, so far, so good, I think, from Will. Um, young uh, Nick Martin as well looked pretty good and off the back of a big preseason. Um, a bit of tidying up to do with his efficiency, but uh, he got got to the right areas and just looks... Looks pretty comfortable out there at that level now, considering the short amount of time that he's had in the system. We'll move. That's a pretty positive start, I guess, for the first five minutes of the pod, all things considered, and uh, and probably some of the talk that's been around Essendon's social media pages and stuff. So we'll move on to the bad. Um, it's more of the same from last year. Conversion, obviously, don't really need to say a lot about that. We only managed three goals for the game, and I don't even remember how many points we kicked. It was something like 15-plus or something, so... Um, yeah, conversion, a big issue. Obviously, a strong wind, but, you know, St Kilda were kicking against the same wind as well. So uh, it's something we really need to, to address, I think. Yeah, I think we clearly had an off day. St Kilda, that's their training ground. They kind of know the conditions a little bit better. But like I said before, we always seem to um, struggle when the conditions are through. Whether it's windy or it's, or it's wet or even when we travel, we never, ever seem to... Um, have any form of consistency in the game plan that we look to play. Um, so, look, pre-season game, it's not a hanging offence, but as we've been doing this podcast for three years and that's probably <laughs> almost 70 out of the 75 episodes we've complained about conversion. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it is something that we need to rectify. Um, again, another thing that we... <laughs> 
struggled with was making good players out of spuds. <laughs> so Mason Wood um, has been one on an AFL list for 10 years now and he's came out and played like an absolute superstar. Uh, just an inability to shut down guys that get a little bit hot, which is a concern. You know, we've got to try and do a bit more to quell guys who are starting to influence the game before they just take over and, and dominate. Yeah, definitely. And um, the, I guess on the back of that, you're talking about individuals and, and struggling to stop individuals. We've also mentioned a number of times and members and fans and people thought of the club would be well aware that we struggle to stem the flow when a side gets a run on. And that happened in, this, in the second quarter there where St Kilda kicked for the wind and kicked six goals uh, straight. Or, or maybe it was even at the end of the first quarter that they kicked the first one of those. But there were six goals straight there and we just need to be able to come up with a, a plan to put in place, you know, that short term in a game stops that and, and crushes that. And it's going to be largely driven by the leaders on the ground, really. So a little bit of a concern to see a side that really shouldn't be that far ahead of us in St Kilda or should be, you know, pretty level with us in ability now. Um, I think, yeah, a bit of a concern to see them get a bit of a run on. But having said that, practice match. So we'll uh, try and keep our heads up. Yeah, well, and the troubling thing about that run against, it, it's, it came from the midfield. We started strong, like I said, with the win, got a, the ball going our way. But pretty much after quarter time, I, I, did we win a clearance or game? I, I'm not sure. And we had some pretty good players in there. So I'm not quite sure what they were looking. Were they just looking to get minutes in the players' legs or try a few different things here or there? But... You know, we had some we had some pretty good players in the midfield there, and and Darcy Parish was one that was pretty quiet. Uh, was quiet in the practice match the week before. Uh, I believe he had some sort of calf or lower leg injury over the summer, which uh, may have impacted his um, preseason. So he's probably just trying to get the K's in the legs. But yeah, um, we've got a lot of good name players that have got a lot of talent in that midfield. Parish, Merritt, Shield, Caldwell, Setterfield. I'm probably forgetting half a dozen Perkins. Uh, we got to start getting a bit more of a consistent performance out of the midfield group. Uh, so week in, week out, we know what we're going to get. I think that's a big frustration from Bombers fans over a number of years now. And the game against the Kill was almost a microcosm of that in that from quarter to quarter, you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> right? And it's even if, you know, we, yeah, okay, we might not be as good as, you know, other sides, but as long as we know we're going to have a consistent performance, so these are going to be the key things that we're going to get out of. Like the old Ben Rutten, blue-collar side, tackling, handball, like that didn't come to fruition. But at least you could say, well, this is what they're aiming to do, right, and they're not meeting that. Right? So, yeah, just we had a bit of an idea of what they're actually looking to do, I think it'd um, make, the, uh, make the year go a bit better. I think we're pretty balanced and fair on this podcast and we make a deliberate attempt not to pot individuals or highlight individuals. But in this case, I, I'm going to raise Harry Jones and um, it's we just need to see more out of Harry. I know that he maybe has had a bit of injury interruption, but the last two practice games, for me, he's been a long way out of form and... I think it's probably 
going to be Brad Scott's first message that he needs to send to say, hey, you, you're, not, you're not in the best 22. You need to go away and um, spend some time with the VFL and show us, you know, that you deserve a spot in, in the AFL side. So, you know, that position now needs to be given to, you know, Baldwin maybe is going to be playing, you know, back line. So maybe that's not, not him anymore. But between, um, you know, Wiedemann and, uh, you know, if it's Nick Bryan that's coming in to play a bit of that taller forward or if it's going to be Patrick Voss or someone like that coming in, I think you need a reward form. And at the moment, for mine, although Voss hasn't never played a debut game and never played a senior game, he's already ahead of Harry Jones in what we've seen in a short sample size this year. So hopefully Harry's a very talented player. So we know he's got the ability because his first year is very good, but he needs to go away and um, find that form and then work his way back into the side and make a bit of a statement, I think. Yeah, and I think form comes with confidence in your body as well. And that comes through continuity. He's had a lot of interruptions over his young career as Jones, especially to his legs, which means that he hasn't been able to consistently get the Ks under his legs, which means he hasn't been able to get from contest to contest. And he's he's a player that is quite immobile and he needs to kind of – he's a leading forward instead of a kick it on my head, let me wrestle, take a mark. So he needs to be able to get to contest, get separation off his defender and then launch and leap at the ball. Um, because he physically doesn't have the strength to wrestle and that's just not his style of game. So by not having that strong aerobic base, it's it's hurting his ability to get to um, the best football out of him. And another thing, and I guess this is probably why we brought Travis Cloak in as kind of a, a you know, former key forward who's in working in development. you got to know the areas to run to and when to run and how to time your leads. You know, and I think with with Harry being a young player and not really having a senior mentor in the side uh, that's established as a key forward, often you see Harry just running to areas where the ball isn't, right? And that just comes through education as a young player. So it's 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 a, not really a a criticism. It's just something that he needs to improve, as all young players do, right? So hopefully, um, if he goes back into the VFL, works on that, and then we can start getting some competition for spots and say, okay, you've earned your spot, now you're in. And it's now someone else has got to work you out of it as opposed to just getting picked on what is natural talent. Yeah, and I think the running point that you make is a good one because he, he often shows that he runs a lot of Ks and that was often broadcast on the TV and stuff last year. And you know, maybe there's a bit of an emphasis and you know that maybe that's front of mind when it really shouldn't be is that you know, I'm wearing a GPS and that data literally goes out and is available to the general public. So if I have a bit of a bad game, at least if I've shown a lot of effort in my running and gotten everywhere, then it won't look as bad. So maybe maybe it's just getting back to basics for him and, as you said, having a mentor that can kind of point him in the right direction. Yeah, and I guess if you look at it from the opposite angle, Dustin Fletcher was one of the great defenders in the history of the game. He would often sag off his man because he knew they weren't running into the dangerous spot. So you can run all day. If you're not getting the ball it doesn't really impact your defender and it doesn't hurt the team going the other way. So Dustin would always sag off. And then when it was time to go, then he'd come across and help. So, yeah, it's all great to run. And it's important that you run. It's important that you provide options. But if you're not getting to dangerous spots, you're a smart defender will sag off. And then all of a sudden, that's where Peter gets the two-on-ones where he's got to compete against two players in the air because – 
there's a, a lead or Harry hasn't been able to take his defender out of the contest because he's leading to areas that aren't dangerous. Now, easy for us to say sitting on the couch or in the stands, but it's just one of those things that needs to, you know, like all players need to improve. We'll move on to the ugly category. So Jai Caldwell copped a bit of an ankle injury in the second half there. I, to be honest, I don't, I haven't really heard anything since and haven't really followed it that closely. But um, it didn't look great when he hobbled off the ground. But I think uh, I think there was a, a, a recording or, you know, a bit of a post-match interview thing with someone like Gianza Rikusa that said that they were hopeful that it was nothing serious. So not sure what's happened since then with all the scans and things and um, whether any of the track watchers have seen Caldwell around. But... Um, yeah, not not great timing for Jai, who's had some injury problems in the past. Yeah, and an important player. We talk about that midfield having a bit more defensive accountability, and he pro- showed last year that he could be that guy. Can win the ball on the inside, can run with the player, can limit their influence, uh, which um, really helps out. So hopefully, he's uh, he's fit and back in the side as quick as possible. Um, I guess. We talked about failing to take advantage of the wind, um, but it, it, maybe we dropped our heads a little bit after after that. The uh, the lack of scoreboard impact, maybe they th- it was like, oh, we're trying so hard, we're not getting the reward for effort. Um, we got a young group, so we really got to take advantage of when we got opportunities to, to have good wins, just to get that encouragement and that, and that positive reinforcement of what the the game plan that. Brad Scott is uh, trying to implement is actually successful and the way to go. So I think, yeah, we talk about conversion a lot, but just it's a little thing, but if you improve that, all of a sudden you start feeling like the hard work that you're doing is starting to pay off and you're on the right track. Yeah, well said. And I I guess just before we go to a break, what are your general thoughts? Practice match, played pretty poorly. Is it... um... Is there much to read into that, or just as you said earlier, maybe just a bit of an off day? You know, didn't didn't get didn't get it going, and it went against us a little bit, and uh, we just move on from that. And you know, we've got thankfully this year we play Hawthorne in round one, which is likely to be, you know, a, a closer match up to to a team that's around sort of our uh, level at the moment. Um, last year, obviously, we copped along, who you know ended up being the eventual premier. So. Um, what do you think? Practice game, put it behind us and that's it or, or have some concern that needs to be addressed? Oh, put it behind you. It's only a practice match. It's not the end of the world. But I think maybe us, like a few other Bobber fans, are a bit jaded and a bit bit stung by previous experiences where, as I said, the same things keep happening over and over again. Like if you were, if you were losing different ways or, you know, it was, wasn't the same five things that happened every week. Right, then you'd be like, oh, okay, it's just a practice match to start of the year. But, yeah, I don't know if it's something to worry about. But, yeah, just in, want to see some improvement. And I will say, oh, maybe we'll sidetrack this conversation a little bit. There's been a lot of talk last preseason and this year. We're a young side. Development's not linear. There are all this other stuff. Do, do you think that talk seeps into the players a little bit and they're saying, oh, yeah, we are young. We're not we're not close to it. So, you know, it's going to be a long time. Whereas if you were positive reinforcement, so anything's possible, we can do whatever we like, does that change the mindset of the players? Because 
you know, we got a lot of criticism about Bombers fans being impatient. Uh, you know, it's, it takes time. And, you know, you got to do this, got to do that. I think we're all, it's been 20 years. I think we've been plenty patient, right? And we understand that we're at the start of a new cycle, but we've been at the start of a new cycle five times and the cycle's never gone anywhere. It just it just peters out and dies after three years and then we're back to the same spot. We we make we make a final and we get pumped by ten goals and then we're into the wilderness for the next three years. Is there anything psychological that we could do to progress this a bit quicker? Yeah, I think it's a good point. And it's it's something that kind of has come up in the media this week. I think on AFL three sixty, Mark Robinson made point of saying that you know, Essendon's a club that, that regularly goes back to the excuses. And as you said, you know, we're a young side, we're developing. And um, Matthew Lloyd, I think, also came out this week and, and said, you know, this, the, the club needs to be a little bit harder and show a bit more heart and, and, and that sort of thing on field. And I'm par- paraphrasing there a little bit. But um, what I'm getting at is that the things you said are exactly what's sort of being said in the media as well. And I think you're right. And, and maybe that is something that the club should look at in terms of changing the mindset, you know, is that going to the extent of, you know, you bring in someone who specialises in that sort of thing to to teach you how to think like a winner? Like you look at all the successful people through sport over the years, they're pretty driven, motivated, don't take no for an answer. And, you know, whether it's injury, age, anything like that, uh, they don't let that get in the way. So, yeah, maybe there is something in that. And hopefully that's something that I guess Brad Scott brings and brings a different kind of thought pattern. He probably hasn't had enough time yet, obviously, for us to see any of those sort of changes. But I think certainly the coach is a great place to start. So I guess we've made that change and, and maybe he'll bring something a little bit different. But I think you're right. Is If you allow that sort of psychology to embed itself, then you will you won't get out of it. You'll always find something to be a reason why you're not quite good enough to go to that next step. That's probably enough on the practice games. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some club news, bit of AFL list update and some AFLW news as well. So, Brendan, probably the, the biggest off-field news in the last few weeks that, that come through this week was uh, the appointment of Paddy Ryder as a full-time Indigenous manager and development coach for the one- to three-year players in the Jack Jones Academy. Um, so, obviously, everyone knows Paddy Ryder played with Essendon uh, for a number of years, then went to Port Adelaide and St Kilda, uh, had a really good career and really well-respected um, within AFL circles and obviously Indigenous circles as well. So, um, I think good appointment in terms of, um, you know, it's a role that the club has been really lacking in, I, I think, in recent times and, and has probably let itself down a little bit in not addressing that. And they identified that through the, the review that occurred late last year. And now we've got someone to fulfil that role and someone who's got a fair bit of experience on the field and um, will now add to that off the field. Yeah, I think uh, the investment in Indigenous football at the club has been a long time coming. We've obviously had... Dean Rioli appointed as the Indigenous uh, board member there. We've got Paddy Ryder now as the full-time manager. And then Quentin Narkel is joined as an, like, as an assistant, so he's going to be helping Ryder in that role. Um, really good investment. We've lost a number of Indigenous players um, over the journey that maybe we could have looked to um, keep settled a bit more. We're talking, thinking about 
Irving Mosquito is one, um, even Tipper, you know, could if we had had that investment, could we have um, made the challenges or assisted him a little bit easier so he didn't leave us for half a year then come back, you know? So it's good investment, really happy that we've invested in that area. Um, I'm quite interested in the development coach aspect of his role as well. People remember Paddy started as quite quite a lean player playing at centre-half back and then kind of went forward and then in the ruck. So I think with guys like Cox and Reed, who are those taller, leaner types, uh, maybe he could impart some knowledge there. I think that's really important that those guys are going to be quite mobile, so you don't want to bulk up too much. So I think from the actual skill acquisition side, he will be um, he'll be a positive impact. Was a great tap ruckman, so you know maybe Nick Bryan. That's a strength of his. He could learn something off Paddy there. So um, I think it's a, a positive appointment from on the field uh, and as well as off. Um, don't want to go too much into it there, but when you first heard that it was um, that it was Paddy and not another person. What, what was your what was your gut reaction? I know there's a lot of talk on social media after the appointment that some people had some consternation about it being him coming back, considering not only how he left uh, to go to Port Adelaide, but then um, when he went to St Kilda, some comments that he had made. So, what was what was your reaction? Yeah, I was I was a bit surprised if I'm completely honest. Like the I think I found out by the email that the club sent read it and was sort of, um, yeah, his name stuck out straight away. And I was a bit surprised because it wasn't a name that I thought I would see um, Essendon sending out again uh, based off, you know, recent history and some of the comments that he'd made over the journey. So a um, bit surprised initially, but I guess, you know, it's it's a role that we needed to really fill and he's a suitable person to do that role. Um, so it makes sense. And I, I guess, you know, looking at it, from uh, from a bit more afar, it, and you know, removing any of those those uh, memories, it's an opportunity for both the club and him to to move on from anything that happened in the past. Nothing says that people and organisations can't move on. So, um, you know, maybe that's just a small part of it, but maybe that's a, a box tick that that's behind everyone now, and you know, he can get on to being a really good um, Indigenous player manager, and uh, and also working with the one to three year players as well. So, I think. Um, yeah, a bit surprised initially, but whatever it is, what it is, he's filling a role and doing a job, and that's what he's there to do, and I'm sure he'll do it well. So what did you think? No, oh, I, I agree. I think, I, same with you, when I saw his name, I thought, oh, geez, I wasn't, wasn't expecting to see that name when I opened up this email. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what was done in the past was done. I think it was probably a difficult time for lots of people there. So I think it's kind of got to let bygones be bygones there. I think positives, the positives of his appointment definitely outweigh any potential hurt feelings. I wouldn't even call them negatives. I think it's just people might be, um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit hurt by that, but look, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) Uh, When, when we when we turn blokes like the Davy Boys or Wanganeen and you know Mankara into superstars of the club, and they all credit Paddy Ryder's influence there, I don't think people are going to be worrying about it too much if they're all there holding up the holding up a cup 
<laughs> so uh, that's kind of where I see it. Um, good to have him back. He was a was a much loved player at Essendon before he left. So um, hopefully, kind of mend mend a few broken hearts and everyone's happy again. Yeah, I'm sure it'll I'm sure it'll pan out all fine. So that's a good one. Um, Quinton Arkle, you mentioned obviously, and that probably leads us into. Um, the VFL list. So Quinton Arkle's got a, a role at the club as a sort of a part-time assistant, but will also be playing uh, VFL. And you can't help but to think that there's a bit of a carrot there for, you know, maybe a potential return, you know, through a mid-season um, draft pick kind of spot or something like that. Uh, so that's a really good appointment. And uh, I think off air we're talking about the fact that he probably fulfills that uh, fills a really important role in the midfield there, um, you know, with Sean Attlee going out um, to, and, and going off to do other things. So um, really quality appointment. Quinton Narkel was quite a good player at Geelong, 41 games for Geelong. And obviously Geelong's been really strong uh, for a long time and pretty hard to break into that side. And um, he was pretty good when he did get in. So looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah, I think he just needs an opportunity there. I quite, quite like how he plays. I think he's got quite a bit of talent. Uh, has done a full pre-season with the Tigers there and was reportedly quite close to getting picked up in the pre-season selection period from them. I think he just needs an opportunity. As you mentioned, pretty hard midfield to crack at the Cats there. So um, we, we certainly don't have that <laughs> that issue there. So if he has a big um, has a big first half year in the VFL, I think there's um, there's a list spot available for him and I think we'd um, welcome him in. So speaking of kind of the VFL guys. We'll just talk about a couple of other more prominent names that people um, might be familiar with just to, you know, shine a light on the players that are playing in our VFL side this year. So Tom Phillips, who played for the Pies and the Hawks, most notably played in the uh, grand final, I think it was 2018, uh, Collingwood West Coast there, very good player on the wing, hard running, um, kicks well off that left peg, so he'll be a senior body that we can add to our group. Uh, Brad Lynch played a couple games for the Bulldogs. Uh, Jack Cleaver is a guy that um, we brought over to train through the SSP from the Waffle, kind of can play both ends, mainly half-back. Will Golds, who's a former rookie at Hawthorne. Uh, Tom Wallace, the son of Dean, so people might remember in 2015, he was actually on our rookie list. Uh, he's gone over to the West, played some waffle football and has decided to move back to Victoria. So he's joined back up with us. Uh, and then two former NGA players in Carlos Egan and Matt Foley. They're um, kind of the more prominent names that people might might know. And then some returning names that we've mentioned on the podcast, uh, Sam Conforti, Billy Cootie, Stefan Razanak, Brad Benecki, Bruno Laguda, Jake Sutton and Joel Fitzgerald. And I guess the, uh, a train-on player, another father-son, Luca Alessio, son of Stephen, only a 19-year-old uh, kid there, so plenty of t- development ahead of him. Uh, interesting to see if he can get a run. Uh, we talked a number of times, Mark, about a need for a uh, big key back. So maybe in time, Luca can be that. Just on Luca, so a train-on player, um, pardon my ignorance here, but is that's a kind of a player that will play at their local club and then, you know, get elevated into the into the VFL side if their form's, you know, strong and the, and the VFL side needs them. Is that kind of correct? 
I think that's that what it is as well. So I think those um, all the VFL players that I've mentioned are actually on the VFL list. I think Luca can train with the VFL side, potentially play NAB League football. I think at Calder, and then um, just you know get a game here or there. They used to have the old um, 19th man or 23rd man where you could pick a kid under 21 and play. So potentially um, Luca could fill that spot. Uh, always good to have a have a father son, and uh, we're both big fans of of his dad Steve, and uh, good Essendon man. Um, yeah, really, really you, looking forward uh, to. Seeing you. you had a chat with Steve on the train, if I'm. I, I did. Not I did have a, yeah, not not too long ago, and it was um, it was a really good bike, and it was just a reminder of uh, geez, that their real connection to kind of like the local area. He obviously grew up local boy, um, brought back some good memories. I think I uh, might have said to him, uh, geez, if we could use you out there today, and uh, I was not wrong. We, we could have. <laughs> we'll move on to the AFLW with the priority signing um, that comes through their priority signing period. Uh, so Brooke Brown, key position defender, 24 games across three seasons for North Melbourne, uh, former basketball player, touch rugby player, and track and field athlete. So um, some pretty good athletic genes there and, and uh, a, a really good addition to the AFLW side. Yeah, so I believe that's one of two priority signs that we can make. Uh, big big key defender was a kind of hole in our AFLW list. We'd obviously invested heavily in mids and forwards there. So getting a more senior player um, to come in, his experience, played in, in a pretty good side, North Melbourne there, can kind of intercept but also lock down. I think that's... Um, going to be really important for our continual progression in the AFLW there. Obviously, uh, we had a bit of a soft draw being the first season there, so that made it a bit easy for us. But as we w- went well, we're going to have harder and harder draws and having someone who can play on the big key forward, um, it's going to be really important. So glad to have Brooke in and then hopefully we get another, another important piece before we hit the uh, AFLW draft. So that pretty much does us for this podcast. But is there, do you want to just go through a bit of general general chat? And, and, and uh, there's probably one bit of um, more sadder news, I guess, to come out of uh, today from the club. Yeah, I just wanted to address the um, the release that assistant coach Dale Tapping has been diagnosed with a top blood cancer. Um, we obviously wish Dale and his family all the best. Um, the club says that he is going to continue in his role as assistant coach whilst he's receiving treatment, which is um, really good to see. Uh, hopefully the club can accommodate any of his needs that he can, and I'm sure um, him and his family will appreciate all the support from all the Bombers fans out there. Yeah, definitely wish Dale well um, in his journey to recovery. Hopefully hopefully that's a positive one. Um what Was there anything else, anything else you wanted to talk? Just general Essendon. Like, we've got, what is it, week and a half till round one? What do you... I was, uh, this is a really random one, and this is coming from absolutely nowhere, but I was only thinking this week, how good back in the day were the Bomber magazines that used to come out, that used to get posted out to you if you're a member or you went and bought it or whatever, Um as like a sort of 10 to 12-year-old kid, they, they were fantastic. And uh, I know the world's moved on and it's all digital now, but um, just a random bit of uh, Thursday night 
thinking for you. The uh, the old Bomber magazine was was pretty good reading as a twelve year old. Oh, my favourite thing I used to go to the newsagent with Dad, or Dad used to go to the newsagent and get it for me, and it was the highlight of my year. Uh, to read the articles, I remember when Hurdy was appointed captain, uh, had him on the front with a plane. This is your captain speaking. I could still see that uh, picture in my mind. Uh, I remember the article written by a young Emma Quayle, who went on to be a fantastic journalist at the age and then moved into list management and recruiting at GWS. The great spaghetti incident with uh, with Blake Carousella and uh, the cutting of his mouth open with a bit of glass in the, uh, in the Mrs. Spaghetti. Um, and then... I think my most prized possession was uh, was a fold-out A3 picture of Merckx, Mark McCurry in his prime. That took pride of place on the wall and, geez, oh, yeah, you may have mentioned it. It's, uh, it really has brought back good memories. What was your what – was what was one stood out for you? Uh, one that stood out for me, this is a really – this is a really obscure one, but there's there's one there that has a, a write-up on Aaron Hedeman and the front cover has him with his arms crossed in front of a brick wall. It says another brick in the wall and uh, has a full article about him being, you know, part of a pretty pretty tough back line and, and pretty successful back line at the time. Um, and I remember as a kid, you know, playing local footy in the back pocket, I, it really resonated with me and, um, and I, I read that and... It was just good. It was uh, something to aspire to, but um, obviously, yeah, it didn't get as far as Aaron did. But it was uh, as a young kid, it was it was pretty cool stuff to see, you know, a young guy going to the club on the front cover of the Bomber magazine. And, and as you said, times have changed there. But I do remember they did transition to a digital form for a couple of years there, and you know, we talk about a lot of things. The club wants to engage with the with the fans a bit more, like even just the digital thing where you've got a message from the coach or we've got a new captain, what does he have to say, you know, all those little odd bits and pieces. You get some insider from the from the club can, you know, give a chat, speak to a trainer or something like that. I know, Mark, we often sort of bemoan how, geez, if we were in charge of the media department at the football club, well, all the different things we would do to highlight players and really get that, connection again different time in a different world where you know that was really the only connection to the club was through the magazine was that the radio or maybe watching a game on channel seven you know there were not all games were even broadcast so um but these days everything's so instantaneous and you can watch them in different things on twitter facebook instagram yeah just kind of doing something to kind of get that connection back and like was perfect for us. Like we were like eight to twelve when that magazine was at its peak. So we're in prime thing, we were actually a good side, you know. So yeah, just something they should do maybe. Do Do you feel like the club has improved in the last few months with the fan connection? There's been a bit of discussion around that and the fact that maybe they are listening to to some of the talk that's been out there. And um, you know, there's there's I've certainly noticed a few more emails with you know interviews especially um you know if, if, you, if you're a member you sort of get access to these emails that have videos with discussion with the coaches or with a player uh, or something like that and um you know in terms of other aspects uh, i know that they're building 
at, at the hangar, a small area that's going to have some shade that, you know, people can go and watch training and, and actually stand somewhere under the shade rather than just, you know, standing on the grass or leaning on the fence. Um, so there's maybe a few things there that's starting to, to make some positive change. Do you feel like that's, that's happening or that they're just things that happen anyway? Look, it is positive change, but, you know, it's all good to do, have a stand there for training, but if training is Monday to Friday, 10 till 2, how many people are getting to training? Most people got to work. And, you know, I think you really got engaged with, with children. You know, that was the great thing about the Bobber magazine, as we said. we could like, I never went to training, you know. Sometimes there was years where... Cause Dad had to work. I couldn't even get the game, so it was just it was just the radio. Right? Like I said, it wasn't on TV, so you were literally listening to the football through the radio, and the only connection you had was to have the magazine. So you got to really engage the youth, and especially I think that's in, in, particularly important with us, considering where we've been for the past decade and the challenges we've had. Probably hasn't been a great time to be an eight-year-old. <laughs> The bomber supporter, considering all the off-field and on-field problems. So, yeah, just more investment in that sort of thing. I know they brought the, the family day back, but what's one day? Right? You kind of need that continual engagement. And I'm no expert. I don't know how you would do it. But, yeah, a few ideas. Like, you know, I see what other clubs do. Like other clubs have something as silly as to have a player go around a someone's house and you walk you do a house tour right or you have a sit down and they ask you some random questions or whatever it is like even connection we talked about the vfl guys there like the club does they put out an article starting you saying this is the playing list and what do you hear from them you don't hear we don't profile a vfl player they don't have a little clip on the website talking about you know what bruno laguda is doing this and how he wants to work into a career or the challenges that a VFL footballers have. And the same can be said with our VFLW side, like undefeated premiers, right? Let's profile those girls so we can make a connection with the player. Like I did with Blake Carousella talking about him eating spaghetti or I did with Mark McCurry, you know, like do that for the younger generation through a more interactive format. A really simple one that I think would be would be good, and maybe not everyone agree with this, but at the hangar, I haven't been to the hangar, admittedly, you know, a hell of a lot of times. But if you want to go to the bomber shop, that's where you got to go. If you want to go see training, that's where you want to go. If you if you sign up for a tour of the hangar or whatever might be happening, then that's where you got to go. And I think what's important is when you arrive at the hangar, you need to know that you're there and there's no signage or anything like that to my knowledge since the last time I drove past that actually really tells you that you've arrived at the hangar. I think when I did go there, I drove around the back because I thought that was where you went. It was a bit of a dead end road and that might be, you know, something in the future that that road will go through. So that's fine. But when it went around the other side, it was just a cyclone fence that just went to a gate that looked no different to driving into, you know, the industrial factory place next door. I think, you know, I'm not saying you have to put up the, you know, big, uh, you know, golden arches style sign out the front that um, I think just a sign that says that you've arrived at the hangar or at Essendon Football Club wouldn't wouldn't hurt. And, um, you know, first impressions are everything. And, um, you know, no different to when people renovate a house or sell a house, you know, the, the street presence is, is something in that as well. So I think a, 
you know, it won't cost a hell of a lot of money, but a, a bit of presence to say that you're at the hangar and uh, and for it to be, you know, something noteworthy in the area, it would wouldn't go astray. And a couple of years ago, if you remember, they had every week they released a video with Julian Stoop and Scotty Lucas talking to a former player. It was like for was sponsored by, I think, Colonial Brewing Company, and they would speak to Chris Heffernan, Justin Blumfield, like, you know, players that we're talking about, the kind of our era, so we have that connection to. But why couldn't that continue? And why couldn't you do that with players not just around 2000 or the 80s, go further back or go even closer to recent times and see what a Leroy Jetta is up to now or see, you know... What about, you know, Henry Slattery or someone, even someone who's left like Nick O'Brien or Elliot Kavanagh that, you know, have that connection. So people, there is a connection and people feel that they're not being left behind. It's not like you, and that help, maybe helps the past players as well. You know, just because you only played a couple of games or didn't play 250 games doesn't mean you're not as, there's not a connection with the player that you have. You know, like I, we always talk and we laugh about this. Like Andrew Lee, right? He was one that I, I fell in love with. And I don't know if he played many games, but he was one that he had challenge with his body, right? And he went back to Tassie and he played a big career there. Like, why couldn't you interview him? Like, again, we're talking about it. We're in our 30s now. So, again, we're not uh, – <laughs> it's probably not going to help the 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 – speaking to kids like I've been talking about. So, but just come up with some ideas and try it, right? Because, you know, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So try something. And people, they're not, no one's going to criticise you for having a crack. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, this is sort of, sort of derailed here at the end of the episode. But um, I think one of the other ones is obviously, you know, with the cutting of cost and, you know, things becoming trying to be more efficient and things that the, the old membership pack doesn't really exist anymore. I know that's probably upset a lot of people, but there's probably ways that you can, uh, I guess, um, re-engage with people through that method. And I think me and you both, you know, have been talking about, um, you know, going and doing a tour of the Hall of Fame and all that stuff for a long time. We just never get around to it. But like probably something simple that could be rather low cost is, you know, throw in, you know, a voucher that's, you know, valid for, for, four months or six months or something that you can come down to the club at, you know, a pre-agreed time and, and someone will take you and a group of people, you know, that will take up the same opportunity for a tour. I think that that would give me a lot more value than, you know, getting the bumper sticker and the scarf and all that sort of stuff that, that you used to get every year. Um, and I know me and you would probably appreciate something like that and get something from it. Maybe not everyone else will. Um, but, you know, maybe it's a, you know, a, a, a ticket that, gives you access to a training session that no one else gets access to or something like that, um, you know, which would be great for families or kids that are members and stuff like that as well. So there's, there's ideas there that could be put into place that maybe don't cost a lot of money or a lot of time, but um, just help to be set us apart from the other clubs. Yeah. And I know when we were growing up, the real, you get a player badge. I remember getting a player badge, getting on my, on my jumper, on my scarf. Right. And that was like, the coolest thing ever. Oh my God, I've got this badge. And it was just, you know, now badges maybe in the modern time is not as accessible there, but could they do something digitally that, you know, you can, you know, a digital badge or however it, you know, you would do it. Um, even maybe get the players on the blower and start calling people. And, you know, can you imagine 
Can you imagine how excited you would have been as an 11-year-old if you got a phone call, hi, Mark, this is Matthew Lloyd. I just wanted to have a chat to you for five minutes. Especially if your members, they've got all your details there. It would be so. Oh, it'd be the biggest day of your life. I remember going to school and Steve Crediuk come to the school, right? <laughs> Didn't even play for Essendon, right? And he talked about how his football journey was and all that. And he talked to me, I said, who do you barrack for? I said, Essendon. And he goes, oh, I've, I played on James Hurd, right? And I, you know, he's a really good player, you know? And I remember that 20 years later, <laughs> right? Imagine, and that wasn't even a, a pilot. Like, imagine if you hadn't got a phone call from Hurdy. <laughs> like, something simple. Like, just like I said, try something. Well, that probably probably is it after this episode. So, if uh, anyone's still listening, you've done well. Thanks <laughs> for listening through the, the rambling at the end and the, the uh, Essendon thoughts and memories. Um, so this this is ninety five percent of the conversations we have. So you you only get the highlights on the podcast. This this is normally stuff that we decide not to, not to talk about. <laughs> um, all right, so we're back next week with a preview of round one against Hawthorne. Talk about best twenty two, who's going to play, what we want to see, predictions for the game, result, all the usual stuff. Um, so that'll be be out next week. Go Bombers. Go Dons.